All right, welcome in. It is The Rush. No Teddy today. We will catch up with him tomorrow. Parker Thune, Tyler McComas with you until 6 p.m. tonight. You already know what we're doing. We're talking college football for the next three hours. Bob Stoops will be joining us next segment at 3.20. And as we still kind of reflect on what we saw Saturday uh, from this OU football team, let me ask you this, Parker. What is, and maybe it was still the same answer as what it was before on Saturday, but there's a lot of positives to you know feel with this team. What's what's still the biggest question mark though that you have coming out of spring ball? Well, I think more than anything else, and we talked about Dylan Gabriel potentially going down with an injury and how that could get this team derailed. But I don't want to go all doomsday, and I don't want injuries to be my answer because it is kind of a cop out to me. And we've talked about this before uh, on Locked In. I think the secondary is still the biggest question mark until I see them take a step forward. And it seems like year after year we said, okay, this is kind of this is going to be a new dynamic in Oklahoma's secondary. This is the year where they got some talent back there, they got some depth back there. Things are going to be better for the Sooners as far as their ability to defend the pass game. And year after year, we're left kind of disappointed by how th- things turn out in that capacity. So look, OU has a lot of talent in that defensive backfield. Kanai Walker looks like he's going to be a stud. Woody Washington, it's crazy to think that he's a converted safety. Yeah, it is. <laughs> he was a guy that they just threw at cornerback because everybody else sucked, and then he turned out to be the best option that they had, an elite option at times. So they got him. Key Lawrence, obviously, at the strong safety position, I think is going to be a phenom. Excited to see what they can squeeze out of Billy Bowman, Trey Morrison, and C.J. Colden. So the talent is there. I just don't want to let myself get fooled into getting too far ahead of myself with this secondary the way I feel that we have for several years now, close to a decade. Well, it's, it seems like you're optimistic about the secondary. And maybe even deep down, you think that they might end up being, I don't know, pretty good. But you're not letting yourself get too excited, exactly. even based off what you've seen, because you've been burned by this before. Yeah, we, we, we've been down this road many a time. So, I, like I said, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, proverbially speaking. That's fair. Um, I, I do feel, and I think that these positions go hand in hand, Marcus Stripling looked pretty good on Saturday. The last two times we've seen Marcus Stripling in a live game setting, the Alamo Bowl, he played really well, disruptive. And, of course, the spring game on Saturday, he was disruptive as well. So if you could tell me that Marcus Stripling is their pass rusher and he's going to consistently get to the quarterback, I will feel better about the corners and safeties. I mean, a lot tougher to stick in the pocket and let those routes develop down the field if you got an outside edge rusher bearing down on you. If Ethan Downs is bearing down on you. Jeffrey Johnson in the middle is getting pressure up the middle. So I hear that, and that's fine. I, I think it's fine to approach the corners as, well, I'll believe it when I see it, but if this pass rush is pretty good, Parker, I'll feel pretty good about what this defense is going to look like. For me, it's the same old story. It's still offensive line. And that's one of the things that we really didn't get to see on Saturday is what their starting five is going to look like and those starting five being out on the field at the same time. So, though there were individual individual offensive linemen that played well, what McCade Matower being uh, one guy that you really liked on Saturday, we haven't seen that unit play ball together just yet. So, 
to me, it's it's still got to be a question mark until we until we see it. Yeah, that's understandable. Sounds like you're in the same spot with the offensive line as I am with the secondary. And again, I get that to a certain extent. I think McCade Mattire is going to be big for this unit. I think getting Chris Murray back for a third season was big as well. It all comes down to how Andrew Rame develops to me because Creed Humphrey was the linchpin for years on that Oklahoma offensive line. And he was really the straw that stirred the drink. And that's what you've got to have at the center position. People don't realize how crucial the center is to the offense's functionality as a whole. So if Andrew Rame can make a leap from last year to this year, I think that's more than anything else what's going to enhance Oklahoma's ability to dominate in the trenches. Well, by the way, text line, when a uh, question is asked on the show, uh, like I just did, what's the biggest question mark with this team exiting the spring? Uh, that's your cue to interact. Uh, <laughs> 405-651-3439 on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Maybe you're not concerned with anything at all. Maybe you're concerned with everything. I don't know. Maybe you're somewhere in between. Uh, but let us know your let us uh, know your thoughts on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. This text says Justin Harrington might just end up being a stud for this team, guys. He was a noticeable team leader on Saturday. Broke down huddles, first person in stretching lines, caused a fumble. Don't sleep on him. Now I'll be honest, I, and I didn't pay this much attention. I guess I didn't see Justin Harrington uh, breaking down huddles or first person in the stretching line. I'll take your word for it, but in terms of guys that I'm really rooting hard for this year, Parker, I I am rooting hard for Theo Weiss after the career that he's had and the injury and everything, but I find myself rooting for Justin Harrington. Not everyone will because, I mean, he did, I guess, kind of quit on the team last year, but the way that he's worked back into things, got his scholarship stripped, his number taken away, I, I hope Justin Harrington makes the most out of the season and has a high-impact year. Well, and he's one of the guys that can really help Oklahoma turn the corner in the defensive backfield. Like like I mentioned, I'm still approaching that secondary as a whole with a little bit of hesitance. But if they can get contributions from a guy like Justin Harrington, if they can get contributions from a guy like Jordan Mukes, if the depth is there, not just the star power at the top of the lineup, because you take, for example, Delarian Turner-Yell the last couple years, or Woody Washington. The Sooners have had some real talented players in the secondary, but when those guys are on the shelf or need a playoff, that's when you see Oklahoma get burned. I think back to Mukes getting pressed into action against Kansas State last year and getting beat down the field is a perfect example. So if you can have quality depth in the back end on defense and you can have guys that are capable of rotating in and out, giving you a good play, giving you a good rep, then – that's going to enhance this defense's ability to defend effectively at all three levels. Uh, he quit on the team because the former coaches were D-bags. <laughs> That's on the side well, I mean, <laughs> this is the one situation where a guy like Justin Harrington can enter into the portal in the middle of the year, Parker. And people aren't mad. And people aren't mad. And really, maybe even like support him on that. Because this is a fan base that you know doesn't really like to put up with that type of crap. You know, But seeing as... You know how the previous staff, how everything went, you know, went down. Some, I, I feel like most people are like, okay, well, we get you, Justin Harrington. We yeah, I'm sure why you did it. I'm sure in hindsight, there are folks like, yeah, you know what, I, I forgive him. Hundred percent agree. I think Harrington will be a factor this year. Think he can be a punisher for the secondary. All right, well, some, some hype on Justin Harrington. I mean, there's been hype on him for three years now, Parker. 
or however long he's been, what, two or three years, however long he's been with the program. Since the first day he arrived on campus, it was, whoa, long, big, this is what they've been wanting in the secondary. This guy is going to work out and be a player. What better happen this year? Yeah, again, look, the physical tools are nice, but in Brent Venables' defense, more so than just about any other defense, it's about having the capacity to grasp your role from a mental standpoint. And so if Justin Harrington can do that, yeah, he can be a big player for this program. But if not, I feel like this is this is really the make-or-break year for him because this is his last year of eligibility. So if it doesn't come together for him this year, this will probably be one of the guys that uh, we're remarking on 10, 15 years down the road along the lines of somebody like Mo Dampier. Oh, wow. Mo Dampier, that is a name that I haven't thought of since I listened to the (laughs) CD that came out after the 2003-2004 season that had the track uh, Dampier Shuffle on it after Mo Dampier. That was a thing? Dampier Shuffle? Yeah, yeah, it was like a... um, I don't even know how you explain it, Parker. It was, there used to be a CD. I don't know if it was like a yearly CD that came out or who even did it. I have no idea. But there used to be like an OU Sooner CD that came out. I I would always, I feel like I would always get it for Christmas for some reason. I don't know whose idea that was. Okay. But there were like eight to ten songs and they were like OU, it was like Weird Al style. <laughs> like songs, like OU spinoff of songs that were, were popular. I don't know. And one was called the Dampier Shuffle. Don't ask me to tell you any more than that. Somebody asked on the text line, did you see Paul Feinbaum's comments about Stoops? No, I saw Paul Feinbaum's comments about who he thinks will ultimately uh, replace Nick Saban, but what did he say about Bob Stoops? Please give us some more insight into that. Because if Paul Feinbaum wants to start beef, maybe we can get Bob Stoops to beef back. Oh, yeah. You saw what uh, Bob coming up next with us. You saw what he said today at the Capitol, right? Lincoln Riley didn't invent Oklahoma Lincoln Riley did not invent OU football, and then everyone was like, yeah, all right, that's right, Bob, yeah, everyone started clapping, so, yeah, he was was out there today, we might ask him uh, about that, his eventful morning that he had in in OKC. By the way, before we get to Bob, um, I asked about some concerns that people have. This one says, quarterback and wide receiver depth is a concern at the moment. I'll agree with you on quarterback depth being a concern. Wide receiver depth, I, I am not concerned at all. There, there are two possessions where depth is not a concern to me. Running back and wide receiver. I think really? that they are, yeah. Well, I'm not saying those are the only two positions. I'm saying that those are one and two for me. Qu- uh, running back and wide receiver, I, I, don't, I don't worry about the depth there. It's funny I, I, because I think, I think those are those are the two positions that a lot of fans are pinpointing as the Sooners' biggest weakness as far really? as Really? Yeah. Now, look, I, I'm more on your side than theirs, but the perception is that the Sooners are probably a little bit more shorthanded with running backs and with wide receivers than among the other positional groups. Look, I think as far as running back, they're going to be just fine, especially with Tawi Walker looking like a ball player. Wide receiver, I don't know. I feel like that's a room where you'd like to add one more scholarship guy if possible just to account for the loss of Cody Jackson, but I agree with you. I'm not nearly as panicked about the perceived lack of depth as I feel some folks are because there is quality depth. The Sooners are at least five or six deep with guys that could be big-time players. Biggest question for the Sooners this season is whether or not Tyler jinxed them. Yeah. I don't know if you weren't around last year, but uh, I I called game. When uh, who was it? Lindsey Elam hit a grand slam against Georgia, and um, I called game. Georgia did not, and Georgia ended up uh, beating OU. 
So everyone was saying uh, from that moment that I jinxed the softball team, but if you remember, OU still won the national championship, but apparently I jinxed things around here. So just to let you know, that's that's a thing with the text so, line so, of me. So you've learned your lesson and you're not going to call a game again. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, no, I will. I, I will. I oh, will call a game. Just... I'm sure I called game twice when OU had a 21-point lead against Kansas State in 2020. So if you want to call me a jinx for that, you may. Uh, I will just blame it on uh, Muleshoe and staff for for that issue, blowing a three-touchdown lead a couple times in the second half. But, yeah, the text line likes to call me a jinx, especially when it comes to the softball team. That's that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> it's real hard to shake a reputation like that. It, it has been for me, at least. Uh-huh. It has been for me. All right, text, Air Cover Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Coming up next, we'll talk to our good friend Bob Stoops. He had a very eventful morning at the Capitol. Uh, Of course, he had a great weekend with Baker Mayfield in the spring game in town. We'll get caught up with Coach Stoops. Coming up next, keep it locked on the ref for the Homeless Sooner fans. It is the rush. No Teddy Lehman today. Tyler McComas in studio. Parker Thune along with me as well. Chime in on the Air Cover Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. I'm sure that we will catch up with head coach Bob Stoops here shortly. He had an amazing weekend. I'm sure he was out on the field with uh, Baker Mayfield this weekend, which is cool. And, of course, his uh, his new XFL gig is going to be coming up here very, very shortly. I'm guessing, Parker, that you saw on Saturday that uh, Caleb Williams, or as we refer to him as Carl's Jr., sold exclusive Caleb Williams apparel at the USC spring game. Exclusive Caleb Williams apparel? Yeah, I, I, I don't— Like, he personally sold it? No, he there was like a like a merch tent or merch booth, whatever you want to call it, and it was there's just a sign that said exclusive Caleb Williams apparel here. Bought bought here. So he is uh he is playing the NIL game right now. There's no doubt about that. And uh, a lot of people were rolling their eyes that he is kind of the first college athlete to 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 really be to really be playing this game. We got we got Coach Snoops. We do have Coach Stoops. All right. Coach Bob Stoops now joins us. And, Bob, we were just talking about um, – I'm sure you had a great time at the spring game on Saturday. What did you think about 75,360 people showing up to Owen Field on Saturday? Uh, it was fantastic. Our fans to the occasion uh, answered Coach Venable's calls to show these recruits how important OU football is and all. And uh, – ton of our former players were back. It, it was a great weekend and uh, loved it. Now, Coach, Made obviously. Fans coming out, you know, I really do. Now, Coach, obviously, uh, Baker Mayfield and the opportunity uh, that the Sooner fan base had to honor him and commemorate his achievement with the 2017 Heisman Trophy and the statue this past weekend, uh, he was met with an insane reaction from the fans in attendance at Owen Field. Have you ever seen – in your career obviously uh when you're talking about a coach like yourself or like coach venables the fan base responds uh to virtually everything uh you guys say everything you guys put out there they are 100 percent in your corner but have you ever seen the fan base rally around a player quite the way that they rallied and have rallied and continue to rally around baker mayfield yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have. We've had incred- a lot of uh, incredibly special players around here, which is in- so fortunate. I mean, there's so many great players that have come through here. But 
is that that personality, that infectious personality that people have gravitated to and, you know, was such a great player for us for all those years. So anyhow, I don't know. He's he's definitely one of the, the more beloved of all the ones. And we have a lot of special ones, that's for sure. Coach Bob Stoops is our guest, brought to you by Yo Pablo on Campus Corner. I can confirm, Bob, there was some uh, rock and roll tequila going on at Yo Pablo on Campus Corner before and after the spring game on Saturday, especially with all the people that were in town. But um, I want to get kind of your thoughts on this, because I keep saying, I keep making the statement that when OU fans are challenged or when they're called upon, they seemingly always answer the call and they always show up. And I I don't know if challenged is the right word to use here when it comes to you, but it felt like there were a couple times during your career that you called on the fan base at certain home (laughs) games, like, I want you to be loud, I want you to show up. The 08 Tech game was one of those. Can you just kind of walk through me, like that uh, initial thought a couple of times in your career and, and how the fan base responded to that? Well, in particular, the 2008, uh, you know, Texas Tech game. They were one in the country. We were, I don't know, two or three and playing for the, you know, the the bid for the Big 12 championship game and who would move on to maybe go to the national championship game. And, yeah, I had specifically knew I was, and that was the, you know, the the day they put out the, what's the song, uh, the, uh, jump around, jump around. Yeah, jump around, and uh, you know I've never heard it that way. You know why can't we do that about every week? Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody having fun and helping influence the game a little bit. Uh, nothing wrong with that. So I love that Brent. Uh, you know, challenged them and they responded. Now, coach, we can keep doing it. Yeah, now, Coach, as somebody who walked the sidelines for so many years, as somebody who stepped in some, into some pretty raucous opposing venues, just how much of a competitive advantage is it when, as a visiting team, you oh, have to a, come to a stadium that's rocking? It's a major advantage. You get illegal procedures. They can't change. I've been in games. You can't change the play, and you know it's a bad play. It's You're done if you run this play, but you No, we'll get uh, we'll get Bob Stoops back here shortly. He uh, we'll get a better cell phone connection with him. But I can tell Parker that he is a big fan of the home field advantage and uh, OU fans showing up and making that place loud. One thing Brent Venables has always said is uh, or that he has been saying is to pack the palace. He wants the palace to be the most intimidating environment in college football in the country. So we'll uh, we'll see if OU can uh, pull that one off this fall. I think we have Coach Stoops back here. We did so. get him back, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, and Bob is a big uh, believer, as every coach is, in a great home field advantage. Well, like I said, I've been in those venues where you can't change the play at the line of scrimmage. It's too loud. And you know it's a dead play, but what are you going to do? You know, it leads to procedures. It leads to problems at the line of scrimmage. You can't. You know you got a bad play, but they can't hear you to change it. Even I mean, you could always signal outside, but sometimes it's so loud the old line can't hear you, and you know, so it it creates a lot of problems, and you know, it creates a big advantage when you, you when your crowd is is you know is reacting that way and influencing that way. What did you think of the defense on Saturday? I, I like some of the game tackling that they had. It seemed Bob that. And, and whatever happens in the spring game isn't necessarily the gospel as to what's going to happen in the fall. But 
you know, one thing that we've talked about is I, I thought that there were several plays, especially against the run, where there were three or four guys in on the, on the ball carrier and making nice plays. No, I thought they looked really good. Uh, it's always hard to gauge. You're going against each other. Your your team is split, ones and twos, all of that. So, but I, I thought overall it looked fantastic. I, I mean, guys played hard. They played physical. They played well. Both sides had their times. So um, anyway, I thought I thought they overall looked really good. Now, Coach, as far as the offense is concerned, uh, was it a bit of deja vu seeing the Sooners move at breakneck pace once again under Jeff Lebby's new scheme? Uh, yeah, no, I've I've seen that before, and I thought they looked good. Um, you know, I, I think Jeff does a great job. Hey, so la- I'm anxious to see him. Hey, Bob, last question before we get you out of here. Uh, th- this is a pretty cool week when it comes to the sport of football. Okay. The, the NFL draft is is coming up on, on Thursday. And I-, I know that you can't be at every single NFL draft party or you haven't been able to throughout the years, but just how special is it? Like, especially when you got a guy going number one overall, you got a guy going to the first round, and you've had several of those guys. But just how special is it for you how NFL Draft Day has been in the past, and seeing those guys that have gone through some, you know, some maybe some tough things in their life, and they've overcome it and end up going to the league. No, you love it. I mean, it's a monumental moment for them and their families. Life-changing moments, you know. So you love to see it and be a part of it, and um, you know, and they've worked hard for it. You know, that stuff doesn't come easy, and. You know, I always marvel at – I was just talking to Lane Johnson at one of our scrimmages this past week, and he's on year 10, and everyone thinks, oh, it's easy to keep playing. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's, it's a ton of work, you know, to eat the way you need to, to train the way you need to, to practice, to – you know, it's a year-round commitment. And I get it, everyone, oh, yeah, well, they're paying multi-million dollars, sure, but it's still hard. It's still a lot of work, and at some point, they're like, you know what? I want to do something else. It just, it's just uh, it's a big job. And uh, But anyway, you love it when your guys are in those moments and they get that opportunity. And uh, fortunately, I've been around a lot of them. The segment with Bob Stoops brought to you by Yo Pablo on Campus Corner. Also check out Rock and Roll Tequila at uh, liquor stores across town. Hey, Bob, as always, appreciate the time. All right, guys, great to be with you. Boomer Cerner. There you go. Head coach Bob Stoops. What'd you think, Parker? Man, he's a legend. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. All right, hey, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll be back on the other side. We'll talk a little bit about what Coach Stoops just said. Get to more of your text, more college football content coming on the other side. More to come next. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you our number one of the rush on this Tuesday. Parker in for Teddy today. Appreciate the weekly text from Bob from Cement saying that we lob up too many softball questions to Bob Stoops. I uh, love that and always look forward to BFC's uh, text about that every single week. Now, good good stuff from Bob Stoops as always. You can catch him uh, here on the ref every single Tuesday at 320, Man, which is always I, a lot of fun. It, it's not often I get starstruck doing interviews, but when I answered the phone and I heard Bob Stoops' voice, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Starstruck like, or intimidated? Or a combination of both? I, I would say more starstruck than intimidated. Yeah. Uh, but, no, like, when you, when you grow up watching the Sooners 
every single Saturday and watching Bob Stoops do the halftime interviews, right? Watching him walk around the sidelines. Um, it's <laughs> This was the first time I've ever gotten to talk to him other than asking him one question at the signing day press conference back in December, I guess it would have been. Yeah. And, when when I started, um, he, he was the head coach. This was 2012, I guess, 2011, uh-huh. 2012. He's still the head coach. And not that I asked a ton uh, at the weekly press conference, but there was this vibe, I think, with everybody that you better bring it with Bob. I mean, you, you've heard the phrase, there's no question. Uh, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Well, with Bob at a press conference, there is such <laughs> thing as a dumb question. So you... You better be you better be ready to bring it. Um, Yulshi wasn't like that. It was a lot more calm and, and laid back. But with Brent, and, and you've seen this firsthand, like you better be ready, especially if you're sitting on the front row. It's like a church service. You better be ready, man, uh-huh. uh, because BV might call upon you to, you know, a- answer something. Yeah, answer he might a ask you a question. question. Right? Yeah. So it, your, your questions better be on point. But now nah, Bob is Bob is legendary. There's there's no doubt about that. I was uh, reading an interesting story today, dare I say fascinating story today, via The Athletic, Uh, and I didn't know this, but apparently, right after KU fired Mark Mangino, which that's a whole other story in itself, but right after they fired Mark Mangino, they interviewed none other than Jim Harbaugh for their head coaching vacancy. Jim Harbaugh was at Stanford That's right. at that time. And KU interviewed Jim Harbaugh in a New York City hotel suite. Interesting. Now, it kind of details you know, what the interview was like. Jim Harbaugh gets in there, and he's like, um, guys, do you, do you mind if I loosen up my tie, take off my tie? I'm not really a shirt and uh, tie type of guy. So he was like, I, I just want you to see – the real Jim Harbaugh, like the the real version of him. So they go through the interview, and Jim Harbaugh's up front, and he says, now, if the NFL comes calling, I'm probably going to pursue that. If Michigan comes calling, that's where I'll be, no questions asked. But according to some sources or some former assistants, Jim Harbaugh was going to take the Kansas football job if it was offered to him. But you know who they offered the job to instead? Charlie Weiss. Turner Gill, actually. Oh, was it Turner Gill before? Charlie Weiss? Yeah. Uh, So KU's old AD, Lou Perkins, could have had Jim Harbaugh, and maybe that program is just destined to suck, no matter who was the head coach. But it was at a crossroads after Mangino did so many nice things. They hired Turner Gill instead of Jim Harbaugh. And then the past 10 years have been an absolute, complete disaster for that program. But there is a thought with some people in the KU camp that Harbaugh would have taken the KU job if it was offered to him. But they didn't. I'm just like the most confusing aspect of that story for me is why did they meet in a New York City hotel? I, I know, like in a suite. Well, actually, it's funny you say that because Lou Perkins, the AD at the time, he eventually got fired, and there was something about excessive expenses. And yeah, that would I, I went back to that part in the uh, the New York City hotel suite. Like, huh? That is it's like that, that, is, that is a. That's pretty dang far from Lawrence, Kansas. B. That's about as far from Stanford, California, as you can get. Yeah, and apparently, uh, Lou Perkins. He did not like Mark Mangino from the get-go and was always looking for a reason to fire him. 
And, and finally, after an incident in 2009 that happened at Colorado with Mark Mangino and a current player at the time, he had his opportunity to get out on a witch hunt, as the article calls it, and Mark Mangino was let go, and the KU program has never been the same since. Do you think KU would have gone through the awful decade that they that they've been through if Jim Harbaugh would have been the head coach at, at, at you know at for a period no, of time. No, I don't think they would have. <laughs> because I think what what caused that program to descend into the depths of irrelevance was poor leadership. And it, it wasn't necessarily just the coaches, it had to do with the administration as well, but when you are that bad for that long, you have to look at every you have to reevaluate everything from the top down. And you have to approach it from the standpoint of, okay, there is something systemically wrong with how things are being operated within this football program. Because there's no excuse for a Power 5 program to be this atrocious and this incompetent for such a prolonged period of time. Every program hits rock bottom at a certain point. But not every program stays at rock bottom for a decade yeah. like Kansas has. I think about UCF, which I believe it was in 2013, they went 0-12. Correct. Four years later, they went undefeated and won a New Year's Six Bowl. That's a group of five program. So for Kansas to go from an Orange Bowl victory in 2007 and one singular vote as national champions that year to by 2011-2012, they are on the precipice of a decade of the worst football that anybody's seen at the Power 5 level in years. And the best part about that, this may be one of the worst 10-year runs in all of college football history. Though Kansas State would say, hold my beer, I've got a few decades that could compare with what KU's done uh, in the past 10 years. But it, it is probably considered, they've been the worst Power 5 program in the past decade. Numbers will show that. After all that, after all the crap, after Turner Gill being a terrible hire, after Charlie Weiss being a terrible hire, David Beatty being a terrible hire, everyone that has come in there and completely failed and no one's really lasted seemingly past even four seasons, they have still beaten Texas twice in the past <laughs> Five years. Right? <laughs> it's been one of the worst runs, and they still they won it, they won at Texas last year. And Texas was lucky that that game was even close late in the fourth quarter. KU was up by like 14 to 21 points the entire game. So you can't talk about how bad Kansas has been without immediately saying, well. Texas has been pretty bad, too. And at least you can excuse it with KU. Well, they're a basketball school. They're not in the most talent-rich region in the country. All the resources go to hoops, not really to football. What's Texas' excuse? Because Texas has lost twice to one of the worst 10-year runs that we've seen in college football recently. God, it's a that's just pathetic. Kansas is running out of excuses. And I think it was remarkable that that program was already deeper into the depths of ignominy than any program in the Power Five, and somehow Les Miles sank them even deeper. But at a certain point, it's got to turn around. Because you look at Texas Tech, and I understand that Texas Tech over the past decade has not been nearly as bad of a football program as Kansas, but 
Lawrence, Kansas should be an easier place to recruit to than Lubbock, Texas. It should be. Yeah, I mean, and, Kansas City's got – I mean, we talk about Kansas City kids all the time. You're up there – I mean, the Kansas, it's, it's not the most talent-rich state, but you can find some kids in Kansas. Yes, you can. You, uh, how about this? You can at least find some kids in Kansas, Missouri, and the surrounding areas to not be the worst Power 5 program after a decade. Can you win a national championship on the backs of Missouri, Kansas kids? No, I don't think you can. But you can at least be a respectable program with, with kids in that area of the country. At the, least. The Midwest has a lot of talent. You just have to know where to look. You know who's good at identifying talent across the Midwest and developing it? Kansas State. And that is the difference right now between those two programs, because as far as resources, as far as financial investment, as far as location, they aren't that different. And Kansas probably actually has the advantage in terms of location because they're far closer to the KC Metro than Manhattan. Yeah, their facilities are pretty bad. K-State's done a nice job of uh, really upgrading their facilities in the past, what, four years, you'd say. Uh, KU, they're trying to, but, buddy, they are. They are way behind. Way behind in that category. Funny text from the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Mule shoe story time. I've been hanging out with some high school football coaches here in SoCal for some spring training. And although they do like the mule shoe hire, they are all annoyed with the way that they are being treated by the new regime at SoCal, especially the closed practices, etc. And a lot of them thought the spring game hype was pathetic for USC. You know, that's interesting because we hear more of a national perspective. Um, and, and don't ever take what Colin Cowherd says as to what the majority of everyone thinks, really on any subject. But it is interesting to hear. We hear all the praise nationally, Parker, that we don't hear, you know, what all 25 USC fans think about what's actually going on. That's interesting that – and that's one thing. He did, not, he did not develop a great relationship with high school coaches in this area. Nope. You've got – got to be able to do that man and if there's some high school coaches out there that are already like that boat's bad for usc that boat's great for the university of oregon because oregon's coming man oregon's coming and they're gonna keep coming by the way you know where bill biedenboe's first stop of the evaluation period was paul's valley high school nice there's there's no division i shouldn't say there's no division one town there's no power five talent at paul's valley high school but that just goes to show you how committed the new OU staff is to developing and maintaining local relationships. Was it Joe John that was at Carl Albert a couple months ago? And remember that yes. tweet out by the Carl Albert football program? It was as if an OU coach hadn't been by their school in like eight years or something by, by uh, you know, kind of the, the tone there. But, yeah, they're just trying to – Make more relationships. I think that's how that's how that's why Joey McGuire was such a which such a hot commodity as an assistant, and really why he got the job at Texas Tech, and why he's off to such a great start on the recruiting trail. You know, you you tend to think that those things don't matter, but those things do matter, Parker Thune. At Kansas, what they should be doing is employing the Joey McGuire model. And I understand that to a certain extent, the Joey McGuire model is untested because he hasn't actually coached a game for Texas Tech yet. Yeah. But still, there is already more buzz, more legitimate, grounded buzz surrounding that Texas Tech football program than there has been for Kansas football in years. Uh, heck, you could fill a roster with kids from Owasso, Jinx, and B.A. That's on the text no line. No joke. That's what Oklahoma State does. Yeah. The next two years, what do you think? If we stay in the Big 12 for the next two years, will we have a better road to get into the national championship and maybe win? 
Uh, with that said, when we step over to the SEC, the recruits will be on board because they will see what the program is and will be because of the coaching staff that is present. So being in the SEC in two years won't be as scary. Will we be ready? Yes. They're going to be ready regardless of when the transition happens. Uh, well, will we ha- Will they have a better road to get to the national championship and maybe win in the Big 12? Sure. Um, e- yeah, sure. Sure. I'd say that. But uh, he- he- here's the thing. Oklahoma hasn't failed to win double-digit games in a season since 2014. If you're looking for consistency in a program that is consistently at the top of the food chain in college football, OU's already there. If there was cause for concern regarding the pending move to the SEC, it's how that team was going to stack up physically under Mule Shoe and Benny Wiley. Right? That those concerns are off the table now. So regardless of when the move eventually happens, you have to feel confident that this program is going to be ready for it. Yeah, they'll be ready. Um there's a story that I read last week where Brent Vittables has an hourglass on his table. And he says that that signifies, like, the move to the SEC is coming. They, they are it, – it, seemingly everything that they do, Parker, is about getting ready for the SEC. Now, th- there's still some things that they need to be ready for the SEC, but they are preparing every single day as if that move is happening next week. So, but w- when it happens, yeah, I, th- I think they'll, they'll be ready. Wait, more of your text on the other side. Air Cover Solutions, text line 405-651-3439. Closing up power number one to the rush. Coming up next on the Homeless Sooner Fans. Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you hour number one of the rush. Yeah, I was referencing this song earlier when I made the comment about uh, OU will get to see how far they've come in the uh-huh. uh, Georgia game in 2023 in year two. So I don't know if that's why you're playing it or not or if that was totally random. But, yes, this Matchbox 20 song is what I was yes, referencing. Yes, no, I, I did that intentionally. Not good. Thank you. Hey, um, OU's got a new offer out to I think what 24/7 Sports has a five-star quarterback DJ Lagway. What do you what do you yes, know about this five-star? I mean, this is widely considered to be the top dude in the class of 2024 at the quarterback position. Uh there are some that like Jaden Davis out of the state of North Carolina. I mean, there he he's not the clear top guy. There are plenty of other contenders in that regard, but uh many would agree that DJ Lagway is squarely within the the top 5, I would say. Uh, in all likelihood, that would be the consensus, is that he's a top-five quarterback in the class of 2024. Dual-threat guy, can run, he's big, he's got the size, he's got the arm talent, uh, and he's a guy that has earned early attention from a wide variety of high-end Power 5 programs. You're looking at Texas A&M and Georgia is two that have already offered him uh, kind of in that vein. I don't know if Oklahoma necessarily leads for him. He's been on campus. Uh, I know he has relationships there on the coaching staff, so Oklahoma is going to be a consideration. Here's what I do think, though. I think Oklahoma has some options on the table in the class of 2024 at the quarterback position that they would 100% get lock, stock, and barrel the second they offered. And I'm thinking of guys like Mabry Mattire yeah. and Michael Hawkins. And so, who were both at the spring game on Saturday? Yes, by they the way. were. Yes, they were. So, Oklahoma isn't hitching the wagon, no pun intended, to DJ Lagway. He's the first offer at quarterback in the 2024 class. I don't think he'll be the last because I also don't think this is going to be an open and shut type of deal. Sure. And for a program like Oklahoma, 
you know, when you got a couple of top guys on your board in Michael Hawkins and maybe Matire, and you know you can build around those dudes, you know you could get them committed early and be able to assemble the rest of the recruiting class under their leadership. That is maybe more of a reason to pursue a guy of that ilk, even though he might not be as highly ranked as a DJ Lagway. So I will be interested to see how quickly Oklahoma moves on offering another 2024 quarterback. There's reason to believe Oklahoma could be among the final contenders ultimately for Lagway, but like I said, I don't think he'll be the only guy that picks up the offer. Hey, totally random. Um, I'm only bringing this up because I saw it today. Are you covering any of these uh, OU coaches caravans coming up? Yes. Are yeah, you... so I will be. I will not be at the one in Tulsa this Thursday. So that one's sold out. It's sold out. Right? Yeah. I was looking at it earlier today. They've sold out that caravan in yeah, Tulsa. It's not shocking. So, um, Tulsa listeners, how many of you are going to the caravan on Thursday night at Kane's Ballroom? Just just curious. How many of our Tulsa listeners are going to be there? But um, the excitement is very high. Uh, they've already sold that one out. They've got stops in Amarillo coming up, stops in Oklahoma City at the Omni, Dallas, Houston, Duncan. Uh, did I say Wichita? They, they're going to Wichita as well. So, dang, uh, Burt Venables is going to be in every single one of them. It's pretty impressive they were able to do that up in uh, T-Town, man. I'm going to guess that's not the last one that's going to get sold out either. No. By the way, quick text before we hit the top of the hour break. One listener says, my buddy is a Texas fan, and he watched their spring game. He said that the line looked horrible and the offense looked stagnant. Definitely was not impressed. I haven't watched a ton of the spring game from Texas. Really, the only highlight I saw was a deep ball that Ewers hit which wasn't great coverage, by the way. And um, basically, Dickie V was comparing him to Joe Burrow. Oh, so that's, that's where we're at right Wait, now. Wait, Dickie V? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that Dickie V. Yeah, the basketball what? Yeah, the basketball guy. I don't get it either. But he's comparing him to Joe Burrow. Hour t- number two of the rush coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. Hour two of the rush inside the Brian O'Haver Studios. Tyler McComas and Parker Thune. Your interaction on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. And we started things off today with a question to everyone out there. A reason or two or three or four, in some cases, some people texted in five, six, and seven. Reasons why you ultimately think Brent Venables is going to win a national championship. And we read off... A lot of comments, Parker, but didn't really give our own as to why we think that he's going to win a title. Here's the reason why I think that he's going to eventually win a national championship. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to win a seven or eight, but I, I do eventually think that he's going to win one. I think because there's going to be more, more ways to win than there has been previously. You know, with the previous staff, Parker, their ways to win – really started and ended on the offensive side of the football. Yes, they did. They weren't going to win a big game with their defense. They weren't going to win a big game with special teams. They really weren't going to win a big game with the details. If OU was to win a big game, playoff setting, national championship, they were going to have to do it by outscoring the other team and having a lead offense to do it. Well, we know that Muleshoe wasn't really able, able to do that while he was at OU. Now I think with Brent Venables, you get the best of both worlds. I still think that you're going to have an elite offense, an offense that can go fast, run tempo, and score a lot of points. But now, and in due time, I don't know if they're ready to do this now, but in due time, Parker, they're going to be able to win a game with their defense. 
I think finally OU's going to have more ways to win than just one. They can beat you with an explosive offense, but they can get enough stops to beat you with an elite defense. And I think the details, man, details matter with this program now. They did not before. More doors are open now to win big than there previously were. I think the reason that Venables and Oklahoma are going to win a national championship in the whatever duration of time that this marriage lasts boils down to culture. And more specifically, what gives me confidence that Oklahoma is going to re-obtain the highest honor in college football, why they're going to ascend to the pedestal once again, why they're going to climb to the zenith of it all at some point is because Oklahoma is building a championship program. They're not trying to build a championship team, Tyler. And every now and again, you see a championship team that rises to the occasion. I think about Florida State in 2013 or LSU in 2019 as great examples of that, right? Through recruiting, through development, through a couple of lucky breaks here and there, you end up putting together a team that's capable of blowing the doors off anybody they hit the field with. Auburn in 2010 would be yeah, another that, example. So that happens time to time. But the teams that have staying power at the top of the college football landscape, the teams that not only win one national championship but win multiple, those are championship programs. Those are byproducts of championship programs. As far as I'm concerned, Tyler, I believe there have only been two championship programs in college football over the last decade, and that's Alabama and that's Clemson. Yeah, and if anyone wants to come at us and say, all right, you bunch of homers, just throwing out reasons as to why Britt Venables is going to win a national championship, he ain't going to do that. I will uh, use the teams you just mentioned. You will have to excuse me out there if uh, since Ed Ogeron did it, if Jimbo Fisher did it, and if, uh, wow, Gene Chizik did it, if those three guys can do it, I believe Britt Venables can win a national championship, okay? Like, seriously, those three guys can do it, BV can win one, and I think that he ultimately will at some point. Is he going to win multiple? I don't know, but I think at some point he will He will break through and, and win one of those. I think he will win multiple. History proves, Parker, that you don't have to be the elite. I mean, you got to be a great head coach, okay? Um, but again, I, if Ed Ogeron and Jimbo Fisher and Gene Chizik, Gus Malzahn can get to a national championship game, Britt Venables is more than capable of winning one. And I think it, it like I said, Tyler, it boils down to how you're building your program. If you are building your program for success in the long term, if you are doing all the little things behind the scenes and you are instilling a championship culture such that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket trying to put together that one magical run that's going to take you to the top, then I think that's where you have the opportunity to have prolonged success at the top of the sport. Text line says, Bob Stoops always says defense wins championships, and I believe that. Brent Venables is the man at defense, and the Sooners have the offense too. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, one of the more well-known sayings when it comes to football. Defense wins championships, really any sport. And I still think that that's true, but now you have to have an elite offense too. I think that national championship teams are showing us, Parker. I know Georgia is a little bit of an outlier here. But LSU had a great offense. 
Bama had a great offense in 2020. You have to be able to play championship defense, but you can't be you can't be a slouch on offense. You got to be able to score to win one these days. Because I think the level of elite defense has changed pretty dramatically. You're not you don't really have any defenses anymore that hold teams to six points per game. Like Bama won the 2020 national championship and was allowing like 20 points a game and led the SEC. The level of elite defense has changed. You got to have a good offense too. You got to have both, and I think the Sooners will have both with Brent Venables and Jeff Levy. And I think, you know, that obviously opens the can of worms regarding how long Jeff Levy is the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, because I think everybody expects that he's going to be a head coach at some point in the not too distant future. But my focus, and I think everybody's focus, should be on what's immediately in front of the Sooners. And I also think that people win you championships. People win championships. Sure, you can say that players win championships, but to a greater extent, again, this kind of goes back to the distinction between a championship program versus a championship team. People win you championships more so than players win you championships. Consider the national title teams that Alabama has put together, the national title teams that Clemson has put together. Clemson has never used the transfer portal. They haven't, and in most cases – a lot of those key contributors that they've had on their national championship teams were guys that weren't five-star recruits. Who, who caught the game-winning touchdown in January 2017? Hunter Renfro. Yep. And Hunter Renfro's turned out to be a pretty nice player in the NFL. I'll give him credit for that. But nobody figured at that point, yeah, Hunter Renfro, you know, that's a guy that could play at any school in the country. Cue, uh, cue the text. Well, he's the same size as uh, Cole Adams. Cole Adams. Yeah. Offer him and, Hunter Renfro. And think about Alabama. Nick Saban has never been afraid to single out his players in press conferences. He's never been afraid to hold them accountable. He's never been afraid to hold their feet to the fire. And I don't think Brent Venables is afraid of that either. Text line says, if you haven't seen the video of Ethan Downs, the interview, you must. That video shows me how dialed in the team is and the effort put out by the players to be good at everything they do on and off the field. Yeah, it's it's awesome by Ethan Downs. Um, basically, what he says is, you know, there's no hierarchy with the team. And normally, and I've been on teams where there has been a hierarchy, Parker. I mean, the best players are treated differently than – any other players on the on the squad, right? Yeah. But there's no hierarchy. The scholarship players are treated the same as the coaches, and the coaches are treated the same as the walk-ons in terms of how Brent Venables talks to everybody. Everyone is essentially treated the same on the team, and that's a pretty rare thing, man. And I'll take Ethan's down, Ethan Downs' word for it. I mean, he seemed pretty genuine and honest when he was saying it, but it just goes to show you that – no one program, no one person is bigger than the team. I know that that's kind of a, a, a an overused type of saying, but according to him, it's true. A- everyone is treated the exact same way, and every situation is treated the exact same way. That was a that was a really cool comment by by Ethan Downs. What you are seeing right now is the marks, the first scribblings on the blueprint for a championship program. And there are still steps that need to be taken in that direction if that's what Oklahoma is going to attain in the long term. But the foundation is there right now. The foundation is unquestionably there. Now it becomes a question of how do you build on the foundation? What are you going to do to ensure that that foundation is built upon? 
Also, Ethan Downs needs a new uh, battery or alternator, if you haven't seen that one. He, he, he yeah, said, you probably sabotaged his car. I you? did not sabotage his car. The text line already made that joke about an hour ago, okay? I did not touch Ethan Downs' car. I, dude, I don't think, I'm not smart enough to know how to mess with his alternator inside his truck or whatever he drives. But he did put out a call. Who has or who's the best dealership in the Norman OKC area? I'm gonna guess Parker that someone, um, some dealership probably takes advantage of that. So I would say so. It's uh, it stinks to have a battery or alternator. They don't know which one it is yet. I'm giving you up to minute updates on his uh, situation right now with nice. his vehicle. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna guess that there's a dealership out there that takes advantage of that situation. So his misfor- his misfortune is gonna lead into a a pretty good deal for him. Is what it looks like. Which I'm rooting for Ethan Downs to get taken care of. Seems like a really good kid. I he hope, is a really good I kid. I hope he uh, gets his car situation figured out. There's some dealerships out in Weatherford that should be running to help him out. Come on. Weatherford's a small community. they got to help out the star football player from there. What's going on, What's going on with that? Dang. I, I figured Ethan Downs would be driving a, a new uh, 2022 uh, coming out of Weatherford, Oklahoma. I know they got some dealerships. Uh, Bijan Robinson's driving a Lambo right now. So. It, is he really? <laughs> is he really? He posted that picture on social wow. media. Wow. Bijan's driving a uh, a Lambo. Huh. What is your reward for a 5-7 and seven season? Well, you get a Lambo at the University of Texas. Boy, hard to really change the culture and have a lot of urgency there when you have a crap se- He had a good season, but the team has a crap season and you get rewarded by a Lambo. Jeez. Again, that is the rarely utilized zero culture approach. He taking really, root. He really like he. Just, no, he's driving a Lambo. He put out a picture of a Lambo, or he's actually driving. No, it? he's actually driving a Lambo. Oh my! God. He was driving Reuben Owens around in the Lambo on Reuben Owens' visit to Texas a couple That's weeks. Just ago. so on par, man. God, is that not so on par for them? They can't help it. They can't help it, and not that Bijan Robinson. You know, deserves to drive a beater after a five and seven season, <laughs> but come on, man, a Lambo—that's that's what we're really doing down there. Oh, uh, somebody said on our on our message boards, can't wait for him to tell Texas that he only wants five carries a game to keep himself fresh for the NFL and ends up staying six years at Texas. Probably so. Uh, text line: Discipline is the key component of championship programs. Cough, cough. Looking at Muleshoe. Here's some truth to that one, which Muleshoe says, by the way, I was telling you about the Caleb Williams um, exclusive apparel that he was selling at the USC spring game. Uh-huh. Lincoln Riley says, no, 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 it's all right, guys. He has a great balance of focusing on his endeavors on the field and off the field. Don't worry. I mean, he doesn't mix up the two. He's, he's, he's committed to doing both really well. So there's, that's, that wouldn't be an issue. Okay, we'll see. Sounds like Caleb Williams and everything that he's involved in is uh, pretty focused on NIL, but I, I won't take your word for it there, Lincoln Riley. I got a lot of thoughts on that. I don't know if we have time to unpack them all. I just think <laughs> it's a pretty stark contrast between how Muleshoe is approaching that situation with Caleb and how he was approaching the situation with Spencer Rattler. <laughs> Right. Whenever he was signing all those massive NIL deals. Toxic, as uh, Spencer Rattler is calling uh, last season now, via via articles that are being put out there. It does seem like a small uh, a, a battle between them, right? They don't want to necessarily go out publicly in front of a mic, but 
Rattler throws some shots at the at the program. Stogner even threw some shots a little bit about the program. And then Muleshoe had to come back with a uh, written article of his own in the Players' Tribune to fight back the comments that were made by the South Carolina transfers. I kind of want to, I kind of want to organize another interview with Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner to elaborate more on the toxicity of the locker room and the situation at Oklahoma last year, just to see if Muleshoe will feel compelled to respond again. Yeah, another article that says absolutely nothing. Exactly. I was at the USC spring game and bought some Caleb Williams foot massage cream. Wow, you guys are going there already. You guys are going there with Ooh, that. Ooh, I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, I did too until the uh, until that was brought up. I'm sure that running joke has died, unfortunately, but I'm sure it will resurface at uh, at some point. All right, we'll uh, roll on next. More college football on the other side. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, live on the ref. Keep it locked on the Homeless Sooner fans. Cavens Construction bringing to you our number two of the rush. Parker in for Teddy today. Cavens offers remodeling, roofing, water restoration, and facility maintenance. Cavens Facility Maintenance serves all of Oklahoma and can help take the ease off of your staff at fixing those pesky problems in your office building. 24-7 emergency repairs. Cavens can do that as well. Give them a call today. 405-573-3048. Tulsa, 918-282-7612. Saban got the question after his spring game, that really, really annoys him. And that question is, hey, when are you going to retire? And his thought is, why Why does everyone keep asking me when I'm going to retire? <laughs> I love doing what I'm doing right now. There's a reason why I get up every single day and go to the office. I'm not going to retire anytime soon. It is odd that when we talk about a coach that's won a lot or a player, in Tom Brady's case, that has won a lot, the overwhelming question, Parker, is always when that person is going to retire. Instead of just kind of like I, sitting back and enjoying the greatness, it's like, I okay, cannot, that's great, but when are you going to leave? I cannot imagine sitting there in that press conference and asking Nick Saban to his face, so when are you going to retire? Like, I feel like Nick Saban would slay me with a single glance. Like, that's the question? That, like, you're going to – you have one opportunity – over the course of this press conference to ask anything to Nick Saban, and you're going to ask him when he's going to retire. Make it make sense, Tyler, because it, it doesn't to me. No, um, it does not make sense to me. And you got to know who you're asking the question to. I mean, really, there's not – I don't think that there's ever going to be a coach that's like, ah, about five more years. Yeah, five more years. Yeah, exactly. What do you think Nick Saban's going to say? You think he's going to be like, yeah, well, I, get I'm going to be honest with you. Get uh, my full retirement fund that I'm really going to cash in after that. Um, I, I'm just going to take it easy for these last three years. Hopefully I get fired and I get a nice $20 million buyout Gus Malzahn style. That would be pretty cool. But especially Nick Saban, who's you know doesn't really reveal a lot of information to begin with. He is the last guy, outside of Bill Belichick, of course, that is going to reveal when he plans on retiring. Because here's the deal, Parker. Like, that guy is such a robot. The only thing he knows is football and coaching. Like, there's not a thought process that goes on in his mind of when he is going to retire. He'll know, like, I, I just, I don't think that that is a, really a thing that goes on in Nick Saban's mind of when he's going to step out, step away from the game. Because I don't, what would Nick Saban do if he did retire? He'd drive himself crazy. We know he'd drive his wife 
Uh, Miss Terry, crazy as well. Nick Saban's, I, I'm convinced that Nick Saban's always going to coach college football. You think he's going to be the next Joe Paterno? Like, you think he's going to be 85 well, years old? let's hope he's not the next Joe okay, Paterno. Well, and, and sure, but, sure, but. Yes, I think he'll be that old. Here's the difference, though. Uh, Nick Saban will probably still be winning national championships at Joe Paterno's age. Yeah, he probably will be. <laughs> because at that point, he'll be able to, like, you think recruiting's easy now for Nick Saban? How much easier does it get five, ten years down the road? Because you know they're going to keep winning. So, like, at a certain point, if this isn't already what's happening in Tuscaloosa, Nick Saban is going to be able to let a recruit walk into his office and just be like, listen, we're always going to win here. We're never going to stop winning. You will win a national championship here at Alabama. I'm not really sure what else you need, what else you want, but this is the program of champions. Yeah, they'll keep rattling him off here. Um, he's he's not going to stop. He's going to win another one next year, I'm sure. It's sickening, I know, um, but I, I don't think that you should say, well, I really hope Nick Saban retires before OU goes into the SEC because I got bad news. Whether it's in 2023 or the end of the rights deal, Nick Saban's still going to be at Alabama when OU rolls into that conference. You, you remember when everybody was writing the eulogy for Alabama's dynasty in 2014, when they were trotting out Blake Sims as their starting quarterback. Think about that, Tyler. That was chronologically closer to the beginning of Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama than it is to today. I think that offseason, Paul Feinbaum said that uh, the Bama dynasty was over. It was either that year or a couple of years after. And, of course, Alabama won the national championship the next year. So, we cannot call uh, time of death on this anytime soon. Air Coverage Solutions text line says, I like how national elitist fake news windbags like Colin Coward keep lengthening the narrative on Oklahoma, especially after the strong, resounding spring game showing. At first it was, they're going to suck right away. Now it's, they're going to suck in 10 years. Here's the thing, guys, and I like to clown on Colin Cowherd as, as much as you guys do. He doesn't really believe what he's saying. And I know that because I was at a conference where he was speaking three years ago in L.A. And he said the sports radio industry really isn't about being right, which I disagree with that take on a uh, fundamental level. I, I, I think that you should strive to be right. There is definitely an entertainment aspect of this job. I don't ever want to be the super hot take guy, Parker, that never believes a word that he says. But trust me, I heard him say it in a public setting. He does not care if he's right or if he's wrong. He just wants to get a reaction. And right now, all he is out is to get a reaction out of OU fans. He's doing the exact same thing that everyone at Barstool is doing, that everyone at uh, The Athletic can do. Like all these national publications, they're all just saying this to get a rise out of OU fans. Because OU fans are attacking everyone that attacks this Britt Vittables hire. That's the only reason why he's doing it. That's the, that's the only reason why he's picking on OU, because he knows it's going to get a ton of reaction. So don't fall for the trap. Don't fall for it. Well said. Can't add much to that. I feel like we've we've had to have the exact same conversation about Calvary. I know, I know. It's bizarre and, Every week. Every week every we week. have to have this talk. And then he says something else, and it's like, but God, this one's so stupid, we got to address it at some point. 
He supplies us with content. I'll give him credit for that. He does su- supply us with He keeps the content. Air Comfort Solutions text line popping. <laughs> Someone said, i.e. Jim Draber. Uh, this text says Josh Pate is on our side now. Josh I, Pate's always been on our side. Yeah, I tried to get Josh Pate on the show today, actually, but he was booked up, so uh, hopefully we can get him here in the next few days or so. But, yeah, he is uh, he, he is on OU's side, and he had a pretty cool, it was like a minute 45 statement on why attendance at the spring game matters. And he's right, man. I mean, this is definitely a thing where fans can impact – you know, how the program is run. You know, they can impact it with money and donations to the program, but the OU fan base massively impacted OU's recruiting efforts because they can take to the kids that were there and across the rest of the country this offseason and say, hey, we had the best spring game crowd by 7,000 people. And number two was Georgia, and they were celebrating a national championship that they had just won a few months prior to that. It's something that you can take with you. And let's rewind to what Bob Stoops said last hour on this show about the advantage that the home team has when their stadium is rowdy and raucous. You may not have a billion dollars in your bank account like Tim Heddington. That doesn't mean that you can't impact the overall success and vitality of the football program at the University of Oklahoma. You can show up and yell. And that matters. That means something. That is significant. Because if Owen Field becomes a truly demoralizing place to play, and I'm using the word that Brent Venables used on Saturday at halftime, if it truly becomes a demoralizing place to play for opponents, it's just another arrow in OU's quiver, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Text line says, yeah, entertaining for sure, but also just good content compared to that clickbait national crap. You guys do a great job, and Pretty Boy is a football professor. Talking about uh, Teddy there. You can't take the turd out of cow turd. Boy, he uh, he really riles up everyone here, man. It's there's at least some. Do you at least respect him a little bit for being able to? Um... Oh no, I have a ton of respect for Cowherd. I have a ton of respect for him. He's very good at his job, and <laughs> we're talking about him. And the Air Comfort Solutions text line is popping off about his takes because he's so good at his job. Yeah, uh, I just couldn't. I couldn't be the constant hot take guy that doesn't believe anything that he says, though. No, it could not, be me. Not, either, not really my style. I I say dumb things all on my own, and I believe the dumb stuff that I say. Okay, the plenty of dumb things that I say here on a regular basis, I believe those. Those those aren't made up. So at least it's genuine. All right, at least it's genuine. Uh, two more. Saban's championships are numbered because the Sooners are going to the SEC. Huh? Well, all the national championships, I think, are going to stay in the SEC for the foreseeable future. And uh, I think that Saban's going to get a couple more of those. Last one. Nick Saban needs a coffin on the sidelines in a few years so when he dies, they can just lay him in and keep going. Yeah, Saban, Saban <laughs> like, in a coffin would they still win titles if he was laying there? Or just probably like Saban encased in carbonite like Han Solo. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Four oh five. Let let me let me ask you this before we hit a break. What if let Let's rewind to early December when the Sooners were in the midst of coaching search week. What do you think the number would be? to get Nick Saban to take any other job but Alabama. How much money do you think that would take? 
Um, I think he's probably making around ten million dollars right now with incentives and everything. You think that's a pretty good number? Sure. I think it would take. I think it would take probably eighteen million dollars. Because Bama is going to match anything else that somebody would offer, you know? And I don't even know if $18 million would do it. But it would, like, that's when we start getting into, like, real talk. That's the one, that's the one dude where, like, if Nick Saban was feeling messy, if he was just like, you know what, I'm going to completely wreck the market, and he started entertaining other schools' advances and started interviewing for other jobs, man, that price would get real steep. Real quick. Yeah, it would. Texas, I'm sure, probably thinks once again that they can lure Nick Saban away. But, uh, yeah, uh, that one isn't going to happen uh, anytime soon. Sorry. And, hey, they are in danger, Parker. Of this, if this hiring going bad and firing Sark after two or three years, that at some point people are going to look at, their, at that job and say, well, they got a lot of money, and they're offering a lot of money, but there's not a great track record there of head coaches going there and succeeding. Maybe I want to stay away from that gig. I think they're a Sark firing away from a lot of people really having that realization about that job. All right, more to come next on The Rush. We'll roll on. More college football on the other side. Keep it locked on the Home of Center fans. Well, this time is normally reserved for What Caught Teddy's Eye, brought to you by Roof Tech. However, uh, Teddy is not here today. We'll catch up with him tomorrow. I'll still uh, throw out a few things that caught my eye. First one, check this one out, dude. Okay. OU is the number one team in the newest polls this week in softball. They're the number one team atop the USA Today uh, poll for the 25th consecutive week. 25 consecutive weeks atop the USA Today D1 Top 25 Coaches poll. Wow, that is amazing. And in a game like softball where, I mean, it's kind of like a pitch-by-pitch thing, Parker. You can be the better team, but maybe someday you just hit the ball right at someone. It, mm-hmm. I mean, there, uh, unlucky definitely happens in the game of softball. So to be consistently the number one team for 25 consecutive weeks, dang, man. Uh, needless to say, that's that's super impressive. At a certain point, you just run out of superlatives for a team like this. I mean, what we're witnessing is unprecedented over the last few years for Patty Gasso in this program. OU number one, they got all 22, all 32 first place votes. Virginia Tech is surprised this year at number two, UCLA at number three, Florida State at four, Alabama and Montana Fouts at five, Oklahoma State is at six, Arkansas at seven, Northwestern at eight, Florida at nine, and Washington at ten. Bob Stoops today was at the state capitol. And he was speaking to a large group of people there. And on the floor, he said to the House Senate, uh, I, Lincoln Riley didn't invent Oklahoma football. So he was kind of uh, reliving how he was on the golf course on Saturday and had to leave the golf course and go kind of calm the waters up at the facility. And he told everyone, hey, I had to remind everyone, Lincoln Riley didn't invent Oklahoma football to which you can imagine was uh, received with a lot of cheers today. It was a great moment at the state capitol with Coach Stoops there. Just out of curiosity, what, why, why was he at the state capitol? Uh, I actually, he was there accepting a concurrent resolution from lawmakers honoring his service to the state. So, essentially, he was being honored today. Oh, lovely. Well, and I'm always he, down to honor Bob Stoops. And he had that statement, which was uh, pretty cool, and it got everyone jacked up on Twitter as well.
I don't think that he necessarily meant it as a slight to, to Muleshoe. I think that he is over that, unlike myself and Mike Steely. But you know how it works, Parker. Um, anyone sees a comment like that on social media and everyone says, Yeah! Tell him, Bob! Screw Lincoln Riley! Yeah! <laughs> oh, man. Air Comfort Solutions text line. The Texas job is a recipe for mediocrity. Coaches will get to the point where they just say, I can suck for a couple of years and still get paid millions. You're absolutely right about the zero culture approach. You reap what you sow. I want this all to come full circle. And for Steve Sarkeesian to get fired at Texas, and for Texas to bring back Mac Brown. Ooh, that would be amazing. Nothing would make me happier. That would be awesome. Uh, I've I've got a soft spot for for Mac, for sure. Um, In fact, I've always said, even though Texas is the biggest rival, it was hard to really hate Mac at the time. Because Mac was getting dominated by Bob Stoops in the early 2000s. Like, you didn't really view Mac as a serious threat. And since you didn't view him as a serious threat, it was hard to really hate him. Now, I guess you didn't really view Tom Herman as a serious threat either. And I think we all really, really hated him. Well, it's that not was just, because it's not he was just more OU of a, fans that yeah. hate Tom Herman, though. Every, Everybody kind of hates Tom even Herman. Even Texas fans hate Tom Herman now. All that to say, uh, I actually have a soft spot for Mac. I kind of like him, and it would be awesome if he came back to Texas. I think it would be more the same with UT football if Mac was back in Austin, but it would be imita- it would be awesome to be able to imitate his voice again. I miss it. Who can win there? Who, um, like in in theory, who could win there? I've, obviously, someone like Nick Saban could, but like plausibly. Among the candidates that Texas could get to be their next head coach, who could win there? Because I, I'm already rendering the verdict on Sark. I don't think he's going to win there. No, I, no, 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 no. I, I don't think he's going to either. Who could win there that they could actually hire? Yes. I'm really not trying to be hot takeish here. Um, I, in terms of guys that they could actually get, I don't think anyone. Because I, I don't think anyone can do what needs to be done there. I think Nick Saban could do what needs to be done there, which is tell everyone to shut up, sit back, and let me do my job. But there's no one out there that they could realistically hire that would garner that type of respect. I think there's a lot of guys that take that job, Parker, and have the vision of, well, I'm not going to fall into the same trap as everyone else. I'm not going to let the donors uh, tell me how to run things. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to rule with an iron fist. Yeah, that didn't last very long there. Especially when you go 5-7 and seven and lose to Kansas at home your first season. That doesn't really fly. You can't really do that. So my answer, long answer to your question, is nobody. Because nobody could go there and change the culture and tell the donors to get out of the way like what is needed to be done for 40 years now. Air Cover Solutions sex line says, hate to say it, but Mule Shoe would be great there. Oh, God. Really? I like. Okay. I can actually see that happening. I can see a world in which Mule Shoe eventually coaches Texas. Um, okay. The fit seems fine, I guess. He seems like a guy that would want to live in Austin and all the terrible traffic and the overpriced real estate that is in Austin at this point, but I think that he would be so scared of having to play OU on a daily or on a yearly basis, Parker, that that would keep him from taking the job. Somebody said Urban Meyer. Oh, God, please. Please hire Urban. Okay, I, I can see where you're going with that, but I think that would actually be terrible. Like that, that would either be a great fit or a terrible fit. 
There would be no in-between. You wouldn't get four years of mediocrity like you did with Herman. You'd either get the resurrection of Texas football or you'd get the burial of Texas football. I, I, I think it would be the burial. Urban Meyer couldn't even make it one year in the NFL. And I understand the NFL is a different game than college football, but that was... Uh, Parker, you could make an argument that the Urban Meyer era at Jacksonville was maybe the worst head coaching tenure in NFL history. Yes, The team was god-awful. It yes. was filled with drama. He didn't even make it one year. He's, he did a, he did great things at Florida. He did great things at Ohio State. He did great things at Utah. But I think his days are past. I think it would be an absolute dumpster fire uh, for him to try to get back into college coaching now. I think it would be awful. I think if you're Texas, you got to look at who's having sustained success at the group of five level. That's what you got to go with. you got to look for a guy like Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina. A guy that you can go plausibly get and sign to a big contract and hand the reins of the program to. Somebody that's going to build the program around their vision. And maybe they don't completely stiff arm all the donors and boosters and stakeholders, but they have enough of an idea of what it takes to build a winning program somewhere where that hasn't been the norm. And look, there was a time where winning was the norm at the te- at Texas. That time has not been recently. Yeah. I mean, they've had two successful head coaches in their program's history. And honestly, Parker, I, you can't really take away a national championship, but like you'll understand what I'm saying. If not for the 2005 championship run, which, by the way, uh, happened because – not happened because, but happened during a year when OU was really rebuilding – how is Mac thought of at Texas if he doesn't break through and win that one national championship? You know what I'm saying? No, I'm I'm with you. Because it was really filled with uh, getting dominated. Like, how many times did he get blown out by Bob? He got blown out in 2000. He got blown out in 2003. He got blown out in 2011. He got blown out in 2012. I mean, he had four really embarrassing losses to Bob Stoops and another game in 04 where he got shut out. I feel like that would be more the narrative surrounding that tenure. Even though they were winning 10 games every single year, if they don't break through in 05 and win that national championship. Good thing for Mac that he did. Or we might be saying, well, Daryl K. Royal's really been the only successful head coach in Texas history. No joke. I like this answer. Matt Rule at Texas. Matt Rule's the type of guy that could turn it around. Again, if they if they stepped out of his way, I maybe. Um, I love what he did at Baylor. How could you not love what he did at Baylor? But the way that you go about building a football program at Baylor, I don't know if he can do that at Texas. There's too many people that want to hand in things. That's why I say, you know, the whole Quinn Ewers Hudson Card situation. I don't doubt that Hudson Card is equally as talented as Quinn Ewers, or maybe has even looked better throughout spring practices. But there's not a quarterback competition. The NIL money that they pay Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers is going to start a quarterback. And that in itself is one of the big problems. You should be able to pick, Parker, who the better quarterback is to be a starting quarterback. It shouldn't be all about who's getting the NIL money at the end of the day. All right, so the uh, conclusion we've come to is dissolve the Texas football Yes! Program. Well, don't dissolve it because there's so much fun to make fun of. As I always say, OU yeah, picked who, the best who, rival out there. It, OU picked the absolute best rival uh, in the University of Texas because they're so easy to make and, fun of. And if Texas's program were dissolved, who would Kansas have to beat in conference play exactly, every year? Exactly, exactly. Yes, thank you. All right, we'll close up hour number two of the rush. Coming up next, keep it locked on the Homeless Center fans.
It is the rush on the ref. The rush brought to you by Pacifico. Pacifico, let her remind you to live life. Anchors up. Cavens Construction, bringing you hour number two of the rush. Emergency repairs. They're on call 24-7. Cavens can help you out. 405-573-3048. Tulsa, 918-282-7612. Or check them out, cavensconstruction.com. To the Air Comfort Solutions text line we go. What about Shane Beamer to Texas? As an OU fan, I'd hate it, but he could do it. I already am kind of of the opinion that Shane Beamer might be a lifer at South Carolina. Feels like that, man. It does um, feel like that. I, I don't know how much interest there was from OU's side of things during this last hire, but I kind of get the feel that Shane Beamer let it known that let it be known that yeah, I'm, I, I want to I want to be in Columbia, which I got mad respect for that. I wouldn't have done that, but I got mad respect for that. <laughs> no, like it's it's rare that we would say that about a coach who's only been at a school one year, but it already has that vibe to it where you just get the sense Shane Beamer's going to be there a long, long time. It's a tough job, man. Tough job. you got to play Clemson every single year. I think the SEC East is on the rise, man. Um, I think Georgia's going to be a mainstay at the top. I think Florida with Billy Napier is coming. Kentucky is a really solid football program right now. We'll see what happens with Josh Heupel in Tennessee. It's it's a tough it's a tough job, man. So this, if you can do a good job there, you're you're a heck of a coach. This is a huge year for Shane Beamer because you know you only got one year of Spencer Rattler, so you better make this count. And he took South Carolina from two wins the year before he got there to seven wins and a bull berth yeah. his first year there. So he's already built the foundation. But, you know, we, we've talked a lot this week about year two and the significance of year two for a new head coach. Year two is either where the rubber meets the road or, where it, or it's where things plateau and the momentum, the new car smell kind of starts to wear off. This right. is their time to finally cut the the gap between them and Clemson. By the way, it is been a while since they beat it Clemson. Is. Like it, it better happen this year for South Carolina. And I don't think it's the type of thing where it needs to happen this year. It's just going to be a lot slower going, and it's going to be a lot more gradual of a process to get South Carolina back where they were in the late two thousands, early twenty tens. If you don't put up nine ten wins this year, where does uh, where does South Carolina rank? in terms of toughest jobs in college football. Now, like, they clearly have more resources than Kansas, but how their schedule looks like on a year-in, year-out basis, where they're at, all that, like, where does where does it rank? Towards the top? Not as high as I think? Somewhere in the middle, I would say. I think it's on the tougher end of the spectrum with regard to the SEC, but it's also a program that's not far removed for, from some pretty halcyon days. You know, the Steven Garcia, Alshon Jeffrey. I think they had three consecutive years of 10-win seasons yeah. uh, under Steve Spurrier. Exactly. So it wasn't that long ago that this program was in pretty favorable waters. It just takes the right coach to get them back there. And from all from all appearances, Shane Beamer's going to be that guy. Josh Heupel to Texas, JK, but maybe. Crying face emoji. Dan Lanning to Texas, our worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, no. Which which is funny, right? Because during the hiring process at OU, and maybe it was just because everyone was just so sold on Brent Venables, but we mentioned the name Dan Lanning, and it was, and, and I fall into this too, it's like, no, absolutely not. No, this guy was a GA like four or five years ago. No, he's not getting the OU job. And now I'm like, Parker, I think he's going to 
build something over there at Oregon that's going to be potentially really scary. No, he will. And you know what? It's okay to acknowledge that he's going to be a really good head coach and also fully believe that Brent Venables was the better hire for yes. Oklahoma, which yeah. he was. Yeah. I, I wasn't even like ready to entertain the Dan, or the Dan Lanning situation, but now I'm like, yeah, I don't want him to go to Texas. I think he might be really good. <laughs> Final hour of the rush coming up next. All right, final hour. Parker in for Teddy. Tyler McComas inside the Brown O'Haver studios. Keep the text coming on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. As we are officially on Portal Watch, Cody Jackson, wide receiver, entered into the portal yesterday. As far as I know, nobody else has, right? No, no one else has to this point. No one else has. Uh, I'm going to guess that we do see, not a ton, but some... A few more portal entries this week for OU, but at this point, none. We are watching guys going into the portal, both on the OU side and both nationally, because it seems pretty clear that OU is going to be searching for its backup quarterback via the transfer portal. Now, we led with the show today on the difficulties that OU might face in that market, and and, and Parker, that's just it. Like I, I, I have no doubt they're going to find a backup quarterback. They will find someone. That's not my worry. My concern is there is going to be a difficulty finding an established backup quarterback when the starting quarterback is already in place and your future is already seemingly in place with Nick Evers on campus and Jackson Arnold seeming like a, a very solid commit. So it's just... It's going to be tough to kind of balance that situation with uh, someone coming in with some experience. Yeah, it will be tough. And overall, your hope with regard to this whole situation is that Dylan Gabriel just stays healthy because then it's yeah. not a talking point. You know, this this only becomes relevant. The only reason anyone would care who's number two on the depth chart at quarterback at Oklahoma in October, November, is if Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. Then you're kind of worried. <laughs> Yeah, because there's no one – well, we, we don't know who's going to be out on the open market when it comes to quarterbacks. But, Parker, I'm going to guess that if that were to happen, there's no one that's going to be available that you could go to where you just wouldn't miss a beat at all. Like, o- o- OU as a football t- team would change dramatically if something were to happen Dylan Gabriel. From an on-the-field standpoint, from a leadership standpoint – it kind of feels like this this team rallies around that dude. They, if you want to be optimistic about the season, hey, I'm your guy to talk to. Parker will be right there with you as well. But we can't talk about a successful season without Dylan Gabriel being the quarterback from game one all the way through the bowl game. There, can, there cannot be another situation, Parker, where this team lives up to or exceed expectations with anyone other than D- uh, Dylan Gabriel playing quarterback. He has to be QB1 all no, the way with through. You. I'm with you. And, look, as the old adage goes, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And we saw that last year in Oklahoma. Both Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams were immensely talented. But that tension, you know, you felt it very early on. And that led to the midseason change. And even though Oklahoma won 11 games last season, it was, uh, by many folks' consideration, a disappointing season at Oklahoma. Now, I think you have – what you didn't have last year, which is a clear number one in the depth chart. And moreover, there's no question as to who the team belongs to. Because even when Spencer Rattler was the unquestioned QB1, 
I remember back in 2020, a popular topic of conversation was, okay, who's really the emotional leader for this team? Who's the guy that they rally around? Who do they respond to? Because it really didn't seem to be Spencer Rattler at that point. Not until the end of the season. Exactly. And so, heading into 2022, what's encouraging about this team is that there doesn't appear to be any question as to who they're rallying around, and that is Dylan Gabriel. Um, I haven't heard any scuttlebutt about this. Uh, maybe you have. But we're, when we talk about quarterbacks in the portal, we talk about quarterbacks coming in. Yes. Is there any chance that with clearly OU, I mean, it, it's kind of like a well-known thing, they're going to be looking for their backup quarterback in the portal. Is there any chance that we see a Micah Bowen, uh, a Ralph Rucker, whoever else that you want to throw in? Is there any chance that we're not talking about this, but one of those guys eventually enter into the portal with the, the situation at hand? No. No, there's not. Because where are they going to go? You know, that, that becomes the question is, where are they going to go? As a quarterback, if you don't have plays on tape, if you don't have game action that you can show to prospective suitors for your services in the portal, then you're going to end up lost in the black hole. You are. And for uh, if Micah Bowens were to hit the portal based on the one throw that he made for a 95-yard touchdown to Jaden Gibson, I can promise you that it's not going to go as far as you might think it would. You saw this with Justin Harrington, right? Justin Harrington was the number one junior college defensive back in America in the class of 2020. You figured that, okay, well, he sat out a whole season with injury in 2020. He played in four games for Oklahoma in 2021. This is a guy that, you know, physically it's all there. Six foot two, 215 pounds, was very highly regarded as a recruit. Surely when he gets in the portal, there's going to be a feeding frenzy for a guy like him. And there wasn't. There wasn't. Yeah, the only thing I would say is, um, yeah, I mean, you, you you have a chance to be, what is it, like the 50% of guys that enter into the portal that never leave the portal and don't find a home. But maybe there's a thought of, oh, well, if I ever want to play, if I want to be anything other than the third-string quarterback, uh, regardless of where it is, I, I, I better go into the portal now and uh, try to find somewhere to play. But if they, they do that, fine. Um Oh, you will still pursue somebody. But back to the, back to the point. I don't doubt that they're going to get someone, Parker. I don't know if it'll be this week or the week after or when it is, but they will they will find somebody to bring on campus. That I am not concerned with. Air Cover Solution text line. Why? Why did Cody Jackson enter the portal? Is it because he doesn't want to do the work? Is it because he doesn't believe in the system? Or is it because he doesn't believe in the quarterback? What is your take? I think that he entered into the portal because the writing was on the wall for him. Theo East looks really good. Marvin Mims maybe is the best wide receiver in the conference this year. Jaleel Farouk could be the breakthrough or breakout player this year. Drake Stoops is back. Braden Willis is going to play a huge role within the offense. Uh, you've got some other tight ends that are going to do the same. It has nothing to do that he didn't work hard or that he doesn't believe in the system or he doesn't believe in the quarterback. Cody Jackson is in the portal because he wanted to actually play college football somewhere, and he wasn't going to get a lot of opportunities to play this year. And you know what? Even with those guys that I mentioned, I left out about two or three other guys at wide receiver they are going to factor in this year as well. He's He would have been no higher than, I would say, sixth on the depth chart at wide receiver for Oklahoma. Think about what they have right now existing with Weiss, Mims, Farouk, Stoops. Those are kind of the four guys that have set themselves apart from the rest. 
Then you throw in Brian Darby, Jaden Gibson, Trayvon West. We didn't even see Nick Anderson on Saturday, but he's a member of that room as well. At a certain point in time, it simply befits a guy to pursue a change of scenery. I kind of feel the same way about Cody Jackson as I did with Jaden Hazelwood. If he'd stuck it out at Oklahoma, could he have contributed? Sure, I think he could have. But to get where he wants to go, to live up to his billing, at a certain point, you almost have to look for greener pastures because of the way that things have transpired at your current school. For Jaden Hazelwood, it had to do with the injuries, the inconsistency uh, in terms of his ability to stay on the field, and what was a tumultuous 2021 season with regard to the quarterback situation. For Cody Jackson, he missed a good chunk of his freshman season with the medical issue, and going into his sophomore year, it was pretty clear that Jalil Farouk had set himself apart. Those two came in together as wide receivers in the class of 2021 alongside Mario Williams, and Mario Williams played from the get-go. He was very clearly the top guy amongst that class for Oklahoma. Farouk had kind of set himself apart from Jackson and elevated himself to the point where you're figuring he's probably, if he's not a starter in 2022, he's going to see a lot of snaps. So it just wasn't clicking for Cody Jackson. I understand the desire to go somewhere where you can get a fresh start. Sure. Well, it, you know, in the the transfer portal overall gets a bad rap, and I, I dislike a lot of things about the transfer portal and the freedom that it it kind of provides. Um, now there, but there are situations where you can totally understand, like Cody Jackson. Like I, I don't. Whoever else enters into the transfer portal, I don't think it has to be. Yeah. Well. They just couldn't handle Brent Venables. They they didn't think that they could handle the offseason workouts by Schmitty. Oh, well, this guy clearly didn't like his position coach. It didn't have to be that way with every single kid. I know that that's kind of the reputation that the transfer portal gets in these kids, but I would consider Cody Jackson, Parker, that he was bought in, that he did work hard, and he probably would have loved to have stayed here and stayed with this program, but he just wasn't going to get to play football here. So it doesn't always have to be that they hated the way that things were run and they disagreed when everything – like, no, I, there, there are good stories that come out of the transfer portal. We don't hear a lot about them, but there are good stories that happen with it. At the end of the day, you got to be looking out for your own neck. And Cody Jackson wanted to be at Oklahoma. He committed to Oklahoma before his sophomore season of high school was over. That tells you he was bought in from the get-go. This is where he wanted to be. It just didn't work out. And by the looks of things, it wasn't going to work out immediately. It was probably going to be at least another year or two before it even started to work out for Cody Jackson. And that's fine. Like that's, It is fine. It, it happens to a lot of kids who go somewhere else, and hopefully he's a star for wherever he plays. He just wasn't going to get an opportunity here. But, yes, we are still on Portal Watch, and I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't seen – uh, more names, because I, I, I guess I just got a feeling with the exit interviews being yesterday that we would see a lot of quick movement via the portal with a lot of these kids, you know? Not that they're asked, like, all right, as soon as you leave this office, you better be in the portal or not in the portal. Like, some kids are going to take some time to think about things, but it seems like, you know, most of the time when you enter into the portal, Parker, you've been thinking about it for a while, and, and you know what you're eventually going to do. Exactly. Not a whole lot of these moves are made with the snap of a finger. 
But we'll see what happens throughout the rest of uh, the week. And every quarterback that enters the transfer portal will probably be on your social media timeline, and we will be discussing them at one point or another. Uh, Odds are very likely that as of right now, I know nothing about uh, some of these quarterbacks that we're going to be talking about for the next couple weeks, but your backup quarterback is most likely going to come via this avenue. No doubt. And, again, I I think we touched on in the 2 o'clock hour, if I remember correctly. This won't be something where, like, it gets done tomorrow and Oklahoma adds a new quarterback. I think with all the coaches out on the road right now and Venable's still processing everything with regard to exit meetings, it's probably going to be at least a few days, maybe a few weeks, before the Sooners make the move to acquire a quarterback. But there will be one coming. There will. Uh, Text line, many times coaches have frank conversations with players about their potential. I think that pretty much happened. Like, Brent Venables is a straight shooter. If he's anything, he's a straight shooter. And in those exit interviews, I promise you, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whatever, uh, Brent Venables is going to shoot every one of these kids straight about what their potential is to to play here. Yeah, somebody asked on the text line, you think Cody Jackson ends up at USC? Uh, I would say that's certainly a possibility that's on the table because that's where the familiarity is. I think there's an interesting case for South Carolina as well. Ooh. Just given the familiarity that is there. Are you team uh, Rattler or are you team Muleshoe? That's basically where we're at with uh, OU transfers. And I think most folks would take the same side on that one. Uh, I would guess so, especially, yeah, especially when you're further removed from the situation, you know, and uh, here's uh, here all the things that have come out since then. I I would venture to guess that that is that is probably the case. Yeah. All right, final hour rolls on next. Talking more college football on the other side. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune inside the Brown O'Haver Studios. More to come on the Home Center fans. Final hour of the rush as we take you home on Tuesday night. Tyler McComas and Parker Thune. Major news in collegiate athletics yes, just indeed. broke. NCAA President Mark Emmert announces his plans to step down in 2023. Mark Emmert will continue to serve in his role until a new president is selected and in place until June 30th, 2023. What do you make of this? So the NCAA is canceled, right? Uh, Does this mean mean we're canceling the NCAA? I I think it's a move towards that. I kind of depends on who they get in place or who they can announce to replace Mark Emmert. Like, if they get a, a big-time name. Here's a question. How many people want to take that job? I, I don't know how many. In the current state of the NCAA, Parker, do you think that there's a long line of people that just want to take that job? I'm I'm sure it's a great payday. I don't <laughs> I mean, I'm doubt sure it that. Pays well, yeah. But does anyone want to step in that role right now? Because it seems like, as to what you were hinting, a revolution is very close to, to happening. I mean, if the NCAA weren't already enough of a lame duck, now you remove the president from the scenario? I don't know, Tyler. This has uh, this has all the makings of the next phase of the NCAA's slow burn demise. What does college football look like if the NCAA really isn't present at all? And, and not saying that they're super <laughs> present right now, but I don't know, man. That's a weird, it's a weird world to think about. 
right? Does it change a whole lot? Maybe not. Compliance is going to be less of a thorn in a lot of folks' It would seem eyes. to me that there's kind of a no rule. Like, who's really going to punish you if exactly. you illegally do things? Exactly. You know what I mean? That's kind of the concern I have is, okay, how does this all get regulated if there's no NCAA? And how do you maintain a level playing field, especially in the age of NIL? That's my concern. There will be benefits and drawbacks. My hesitation, though, is in a post-NCAA landscape, are people biting off more than they can chew? Like they did with NIL legislation, right? Because NIL legislation seemed like such a great thing, right? Let's get this passed. Let's get this on the table. Let's move forward with this. We don't even really need to consider what the ramifications might be because athletes are going to get paid, and that's what we've been stumping for for years, if not decades. And as it would turn out, there's a dark side of the moon with regard to NIL. Totally. right? Is it going to be the same thing if you remove the sports governing body from the picture? It sounds great in theory, I'm sure, to a lot of folks. But, again, are you biting off more than you could chew? Uh, potentially, uh, there is, there's going to be no regulation at all if, uh, the NCAA goes dead or it goes dark, man. I, um, I, the, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really trying to figure out, Parker, on the fly, how I feel about this because, you know, teams won't have to hide payment behind NIL operations anymore it's just going to be you can outright just pay players now. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. You can just outright pay players. Um, I, I don't know. There's got to be some regulation. There's got to be some regulation in collegiate athletics where it's really going to turn into a circus. It's going to turn into a zoo. But the NCAA right now, I don't think that there's any respect. You have to hire someone. You've got to hire someone that garners a lot of respect and is ready and willing, Parker, to kind of take the fight back and, and and ready to try to you know maybe set up this regulation that was in place at at one point in the NCAA. The problem is I just don't know who that guy is. Who is that guy that the NCAA could hire to where everyone says, "All right, this dude garners a lot of respect. We got to get things back on track at least a little bit here." Josh Pate. <laughs> yeah, I, I just saw him <laughs> tweeting out that he'll he's he's ready and willing. Uh, did he did he really already tweet that? I yeah, know yeah, he did. Uh, he's already been campaigning. But uh, no, I, I I don't know. I haven't dug into that situation enough to have an informed opinion. But I have no doubt that whoever the next NCAA president is, um, they're probably going to be more effective than Mark Emmert because that's true. <laughs> what did Mark Emmert accomplish? Really? Um. Well, it's it, it's more about what he didn't accomplished and kind of the reverse of collegiate athletics on his watch. It, it's the it's the same thing as Bob Bowlesby. What did Bob Bowlesby accomplish that was great? I don't know. We're never going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about is on Bob Bowlesby's watch, OU and Texas left the Big 12 to go to the SEC. On Mark Emmert's watch, the transfer portal went wild and NIL went wild in the NCAA. Any teeth that it had when he walked into uh, walked into that place, they're, they're now completely gone. The NCAA has no teeth at all. It's not a pretty picture in the administrative offices in Indianapolis. No, it's really not. And uh, I don't know if it's going to get any better anytime soon. And like I said, who who wants to take that job right now? We, we, we've we always theorized that, hey, maybe Joe C. 
Maybe Joe C. someday will want to be the NCAA president. Does he want to be the NCAA president? Hey, who knows? I don't know. Maybe Elon Musk will buy the NCAA, too. He can afford that, man. He can afford that. Ask Bill Self. uh, He knows how to skirt NCAA violations. (laughs) That is true. He skirted them all the way to a uh, national championship. This text says... Um, asking about Miller Moss. Uh, Miller Moss would be crazy to stay at USC with Caleb Williams set for the next two years and then Muleshoe's guy coming for 2023. I mean, I don't know why we're talking about Miller Moss, but y- yes, you're right. Like, if I'm Miller Moss, I'm getting out of there while the getting's good. Yeah, um, he may be a good enough player to play somewhere, but he's just, he's never going to play over Caleb Williams and he'll never play over Malachi Nelson. So. Yeah, Malachi Nelson is really really good is he the best quarterback in that class I would say so yeah I would say so well he better have an offensive line when he goes to SC yeah let's hope so uh, because they they better get that resolved because he's not nearly as mobile as Caleb is that's the thing yeah does he have more arm talent than Caleb yeah there's a good chance but he's not gonna move nearly as well and I think Caleb's gonna have enough problems behind that offensive line in 2022 yeah, Cowherd just throwing out that they're going to be a nine-win football team. Oh, they're not going to win a championship this year, but they'll be a nine-win you know team. They'll be a good team. <laughs> I just love that that's just such a throwaway statement, that SC is going to win nine games this year. Um, you guys haven't been paying attention to USC football recently. If you think that they're just magically going to go from a 4-8 and team to a nine-win team, a five-win improvement in year one, I just don't think that that's very realistic. And everyone throws it all back in my face. Well, come on, man. They are in the Pac-12. They've been in the Pac-12 for decades now. The Pac-12, that hasn't stopped them from sucking here recently. It sure didn't stop them from going 4-8 and eight last year. So I just, I'm not even close, remotely close, to be ready to say that SC is going to win nine games next and year. And do people understand how hard it is? to increase your win total in one year by five. Shane Beamer did that last year at South Carolina, and people were glowing with praise all across the nation for the job that he did because they recognized how difficult that is to accomplish. That is not the norm. A five-win increase in that column one year to the next, if you pull that off, that is one of the most impressive coaching jobs of the decade. You know who else wasn't able to get a five-year improvement in year one? How about Bob Stoops? Bob Stoops had a great 99 season, going 7-5, and five, finally got OU back to a bowl game for the first time in several years, led in every single game in the 1999 season. But even he couldn't pull off a five-win improvement from the year prior. It just doesn't happen. And it goes to show that people highly over-evaluate this guy or overvalue this guy as a head coach. Again, with, with maybe his best team that he's had, uh, he was one of the bigger disappointments in college football. He continues to get a pass for last season, Parker. And for the life of me, I don't understand it. And will USC score? Sure. Are they going to be able to play defense? That's the bigger question. <laughs> No, I can tell you, that, no, they're not going to. They're not going to. And I, I, like, they'll be able to score in some games. Will they be able to score consistently, game in and game out next year? I don't know, with that offensive line. It's just, there, there are so many pieces there, whether you're talking about Caleb Williams or Mario Williams or Alex Grinch or Muleshoe himself. There are so many pieces there 
that were at Oklahoma last year. And my argument here, Tyler, is that if you take that Oklahoma team from last year and drop it in the Pac-12 and strip away a lot of the elite talent on both sides of the football, Nick Benito, Perrion Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, Brian Asamoah, DTY, et cetera, et cetera, that's USC. Like right now, USC is the Ford Pinto to Oklahoma's Ford wow. F-150 last uh, year. Uh, the Pinto being thrown out today. I love that. That's what USC is in 2022. You can't convince me that that team is going to be as successful this year as Oklahoma was last year with that same head coach and defensive coordinator and quarterback. Oh, you played Tulane last year, and you know what? You really couldn't tell the difference between the two teams. Oh, you played Kansas last year, and you really couldn't tell the difference between the two teams. There were several teams that OU played last year, and you really couldn't tell the difference between the two teams. The only time where you could tell the difference between OU and the opposing team is when OU played Baylor, and you said, wow, Baylor looks way more physical and a better football team than OU does. So don't give me this crap that he's such a great head coach, he's going to improve by five wins this year. No, I, I saw him last year take an extremely talented team, and be on the verge of losing four or five games a year ago. Well, and how many of those games will USC lose that Oklahoma won? Like, put USC on the field against Tulane. Do they win that game? Do they no. win against West Virginia? No, and, and that's the one thing. That's the saving grace for OU last year. That program still knows how to win, and it knew how to win. It knew how to pull out close games. USC hasn't because they haven't no. done that in several like, years. Do they beat Tulane? Probably not. Do that's they beat a West skill. Virginia? Probably not. I don't think they beat Nebraska. You drop that USC team on Oklahoma's schedule last year, and they win five, six games. So you drop them in the Pac-12, maybe that's good for an extra win. So I'll give them, I'll go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt and say they win seven games. They win seven games in the regular season, maybe eight if they get a bowl victory. How's that going to be received by everyone if SC goes seven and five? Oh man, but bookmark it right now. What is it? April 26th, 2022, USC will go 7-5 and five in the regular season. That yeah. is my official prediction. Yeah, the off-seasons have always been annoying for OU fans because it's always filled with uh, Texas hype, you know? Um, but I, th I feel like the off-seasons moving forward are going to be even more annoying because the Texas hype isn't going to stop. Texas has hyped this year after a 5-7 and seven year where they lost to Kansas. But you got to deal with that now, and you're going to have to deal with the USC hype because, yeah, even if SC were to go 7-5, and five, USC can go 6-6. Six and six. The hype for USC going into year two with Colin Cowherd and everyone else is going to be it's going to be pretty unbearable. So <laughs> I wouldn't be looking forward to the offseasons to come because it's going to be filled with USC and Texas finally uh, being back, which I think we all know what's going to really happen there. All right, we got a couple more segments remaining. Keep the text coming, 405-651-3439. It is the ref right out here on the Homeless Suter Fans. All right, final hour. Taking you home on a Tuesday night. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. I'll get to a few texts before we move on to another way too early top 25 poll. Oh, boy. Hey, this is uh, courtesy of your website, 24-7 Sports, all right? I know he was actually kind of halfway respected in this one. Oh, really? Okay. I, I mean, would have had them a little bit higher than where they are, but 
It's not the worst top 25 that I've seen. At what point do we cross the line from way too early to no longer too early? Oh, this is the post-spring, actually. It's the post-spring top 25. Okay, so now is it just too early now as opposed to way too early? Yeah, it's the uh, the relatively early top 25 poll for 2022, as I think is what we're labeling it now. Okay, I can roll with that. But uh, we'll see many more. Midsummer, late summer, early summer, training camp, post-training camp. <laughs> there are many more of these to come. Uh, text line says, if OU doesn't win the conference this year, they are going to put USC and OU in a bowl game. For ratings purposes, that would be fantastic. I would just... Oh, my goodness. I think Muleshoe would uh, fake the COVID to try to get out of that game. Oh, you know he saying. would. You know he would. They pull the old A&M. Him. A&M didn't want to play Wake last year in the bowl game, so you know they'll, they'll probably do the same thing. He'll find any excuse possible to not play that game. But no, believe me, like that might be the most watched non-CFP bowl game of the last decade. Uh, yeah. Let the USC thing go. Let's worry about OU. Great to see 75,000, but still can't close recruit- recruiting deals. Where to start on that one? Um, I guess we'll start with the can't close recruiting deals. Based on what? Based on they don't have more than four commitments right now? Because Alabama, I think, only has three. Clemson has three. And I would label that as a staff that can uh, close recruiting deals. Just because they don't have ten commits right now does not mean that they can't close recruiting deals. They're, they're doing just fine. That narrative is so tired and so shallow and honestly quite stupid. We're going to say Oklahoma can't close recruiting deals because they only have four commitments right now. That's astonishing. To say that is one thing. To believe it is another. We've already seen this staff close recruiting deals. There was a... There was a class last year before this one, and, there and they was, got like four or five really good players in the final few weeks. There was one player over the course of Brent Venable's first two months as Oklahoma's head coach that took an official visit with Oklahoma and didn't sign with the Sooners. One that took an official visit and didn't sign with Oklahoma. So, yes, this staff can close the deal as far as recruiting. That narrative is tired. And so, you know what? Let's, just for the sake of comparison here, Tyler, let's take a look at where Oklahoma ranks right now in comparison to some of the other elite programs in college football. Per our 24-7 sports team rankings, Oklahoma has the number 26 recruiting class in the country with four commits. At number 30 with three commits, we have Alabama. At number 31, also with three commits, we have Clemson. At number 43, with two commits, we have Oregon. At number 47, with two commits, we have Florida. At number 50, with two commits, we have Utah. Need I go on? Yeah, uh, please mention uh, Jackson State and Coach Prime, who are at number 61 with one commit currently. At number 65 with one commit is Wisconsin. My point is, we're talking about some of the most successful programs in college football over the last decade or longer that are all on similar footing right now, recruiting-wise, to Oklahoma. The fact that the Sooners have four commits this early in the process with the philosophy that Venables and his staff 
have adopted is honestly more impressive than it is detrimental. Yeah, it's it's just false to automatically assume or say this early that they can't close on recruits. Um, actually, I mean it's it's wrong. Every one of these guys has a history of being able to close. Kill Gundy has been able to close. Britt Vittables has been able to close. Todd Bates has been able to close. Miguel Chavis has already closed. I mean, everyone on the staff at one point or another, I think even DeMarco at this point, who may be the youngest in terms of uh, years that he's coached on the staff, he's proven that he's been able to close a couple Gosh, times. DeMarco had such an easy job last so year. He had I, Gavin Sawchuk locked up by June and Javante Barnes by July. Now, if you want to sit around and question if OU is ever going to have a top three or a top five class with this staff, that's that's a different conversation. But to just automatically say four months onto the job, when there's proof from last year's class that they can close to say that they they they, they can't, no, nah, that's 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 fundamentally wrong. But they didn't that's, get LT Overton, Tyler. Well, that's that's dumb. That's it's 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 wrong. This this staff, look, the staff will be just fine recruiting. They've already been just fine recruiting. They were able to salvage a top ten class when the previous coaching staff left at the end of November. That that in itself showed me that they're gonna be okay. And by the way, these guys that they brought in. None of these guys are really muleshoe guys, right? Uh, Tawi Walker had a touchdown on Saturday. Looked pretty good, right? Javante Barnes looked really good. Jaden Gibson, who this staff got very, very late in the process. All right, like we're talking about guys that scored touchdowns were guys that this current staff recruited in the matter of like two to three weeks. They'll be just fine. Don't worry about that. You can go through a whole laundry list right now. Guys on this roster that were either recruited by Venables and this staff or acquired in the transfer portal by Venables and this staff that are going to be big-time keystone players for Oklahoma in 2022. You're already seeing the shift from a personnel standpoint. And as far as recruiting goes, I again, it's astonishing to me that someone could say that and believe it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, on this uh, post-spring top 25, whatever, on uh, – 24-7 sports. OSU was at 25. Texas was tied for 16. That's really when I lose a lot of credibility with rankings, Parker, is when Texas or, or someone is tied for someone in a uh, spring poll. But there's that. Texas is at 16. Baylor is at 11. OU is at 10. Uh, the reasoning, our voters are bullish on the Sooners as a good team. But maybe not national championship contender material just yet under Brent Venables. Much of that overall worth hinges on this defense's performance in year one, along with the progression of Dylan Gabriel, who takes over for Caleb Williams. OU moved up two spots from its previous ranking after a better-than-expected spring. One thing is obvious surrounding this year's squad in Norman. The fan base is jazzed up and ready for a new era of OU football, judging by the spring game attendance numbers. I agree with Oklahoma being ranked right in that 10-15 to 15 window preseason. That's where I'm comfortable with the Sooners being. Because you get any higher, Tyler, you get into rat poison territory. And rat poison's never a great thing in year one under a new head coach and staff. So, I look, by the end of the year, I think Oklahoma will be higher than that. But 
that's about the window where I'm comfortable with them being ranked. Michigan was at nine. NC State, I just don't get it. Is yeah, it eight? There's a lot of love for that team. Mm. Well, just like North Carolina last year, and North yeah, Carolina just, rolled off a I, six and six. I can't figure out why North Carolina State though. Was it, what is it that they got going that people are so? Uh, I'm sure about? returning quarterback, just like North Carolina had last year. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame at seven, Utah at six. Clemson at five, A and M at four. Don't get that one either. Georgia at three, Ohio State at two, and Alabama at one. Um, hot take: OU will be better than uh, North Carolina State this year. Hot take: OU will be better than Texas A and M this year. <laughs> no, no, I'll take that one as well. All right, final segment is next. Close it up on this Tuesday. Keep it locked. One final time on the Homeless Leader fans. Riverwind Casino and Hotel bringing you the final hour of the rush. Final segment of the day as we close it up on this Tuesday. Baker mentioned this, and I I feel like it's common knowledge that Kyler's statue is next year, right? I don't think they've officially said it, but aren't we all under the belief that Kyler's statue unveiling is going to be next spring game? If they haven't said it, I'll just go ahead and confirm it. Kyler's statue is going to be next spring game. Yeah, um, it would it would only make sense that that would happen. Has this statue already been completed? Uh, no, it has not been completed. But uh, from what I have been told, talking to folks close to that whole uh, situation, he has his pose picked out, and so the statue is officially entering the production phase. Ooh, what would, what's Kyler's pose going to be? I, I'm really curious to find out. Is it going to be that little? Remember when he'd run into the end zone? He'd do that do little, the little kick layup thing. thing. <laughs> yeah, whatever the, his feet did on that uh, crossing the goal line. Uh huh. I don't know. Is, it, is there like an iconic Kyler moment? Maybe the throw he made to Charleston Rambo in the Orange Bowl, where he was rolling forward and just kind of flung it. Yeah, yeah, that was like a flick of the wrist, man. That yeah. one, that was a dime. One of the better throws he had. Um, he, he had like a, he had a pose that long touchdown run against Texas. He had a pose right at like the pylon when he scored, but I don't know if Kyler's the type of guy that's going to take a pose from a game that he lost, especially to the university of Texas. He seems like a very, very highly competitive guy. Uh, not that fun to be around when he is losing (laughs) as we've seen with the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Don't think that that's probably going to be it. I don't know. There, there's, um, there's not as many options as there was with Baker. No, because Baker, like, that's the thing. Baker had some iconic moments. Kyler, look, Kyler's 2018 season statistically was better than any single season Baker ever had. But it didn't really have that one play that you associate with Kyler Murray, right? Yeah, um, and Kyler never had a win the magnitude of Baker's win at Ohio State or Baker's win at Tennessee. Like Kyler beat Texas in the Big 12 championship, and that was a big win, but the Tennessee win was a monumental kind of program-changing type of win in 2015. And, of course, in 2017, Ohio State was ranked number two. You went at the horseshoe when you're pretty big underdogs. I mean, Kyler just didn't have that type of win during his career. Mostly, Kyler's wins were games that you walked out of and said, whew, man, uh, I I don't understand why we're playing uh, close games against teams like Army and uh, Kansas and West Virginia, but in Texas Tech, but I'm just glad to get out of that place with the win. Oklahoma State, like every game that Kyler played in, they had to score like north of 45 points to win. 
and they were never really against the great teams. So, and he was only he, the starting quarterback for one year versus three. So it's natural that he's just not going to have you know five or six different moments to pick from for poses. That was such a wild year, man. That 2018 season. Because even if you just scroll through and like you look at the box scores, you look at the final scores, you're like, my goodness, Kyler had to drag this team to victory every week. Seriously, he did. Like, legit, he did. I, I think you can make an argument. It's not a fun argument, but that that 2018 defense is the worst in school history. And maybe statistically it says, well, yeah, duh, it is the worst <laughs> in school history. But he probably won the Heisman. It's definitely one of the worst defense. Probably won a Heisman, the the worst defense in school history. I know he he won a Heisman because the defense was that bad too. Yeah, because well, like true. The true, thing about true, it is, true. Tua was sitting every single second half for Alabama that year because they were blowing teams out of the water by halftime. So if Alabama's, if you replace Oklahoma's defense with Alabama's, if you have them effectively swap defenses, Tua runs away with that Heisman. But because of how many opportunities Kyler had to put together those quick strike touchdown drives and make those highlight reel throws and runs. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll recall that year, that Heisman Trophy was to us until Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah, and he yeah he was the really the leader until conference championship weekend, right? It had to be the perfect scenario. Tua got hurt, Jalen Hurt comes in and leads the rally, and then Kyler beats Texas. If, if, if Tua just beats... If you who was it Georgia? If Tua just beats Georgia in yeah. that SEC championship game, he probably beats Kyler Murray for the Heisman Trophy. It had to be a perfect conference championship weekend. All right, uh, that'll do it for us. Parker is back in his normal time slot tomorrow from twelve to three. Appreciate him filling in for Teddy today. Appreciate all the text and all the interaction. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on the Ref for the Homeless Sooner fans.